Welcome to the JMD Podcast, a pandemic project that's taken on a life of its own. In the last three years, we've covered many aspects of IMD, but there's still so much more to talk about. If you're into IMD, then please follow or subscribe to never miss an episode, but not before listening to our latest podcast on gene therapy and urea cycle disorders. Hello there. Now, fans of the podcast may be aware that our most popular episode to date has been why everyone needs to know about urea cycle disorders. And if that's the first you've heard of it, be sure to check it out. But one thing that came out of that episode was that there is a clear need for better therapies in this group of conditions. So it's great to have a look at one approach to addressing this as we discuss the paper, Gene Therapy for Urea Cycle Defects, an update from historical perspectives to future prospects. And talking about his work, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Julien Barreto of the Genetics and Genomic Medicine Department at the Great Ormond Street Institute of Child Health. Julien, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleased to be here. So can we begin by setting some boundaries? Which conditions are we specifically focusing on today? So we are discussing about uh, primary hyperammonemias and conditions causing this type of uh, presentation. So that will be the uracycle defects, which are disorders involving the mitochondrial and cytosolic enzymatic deficiencies and transporters. So we speak about around 10 disorders that people know about in metabolic medicine. So that's uh, NAX, CPS deficiency, OTC deficiency, arginosuccinic acidurea, citrinemia type 1, arginase deficiency, CAVA deficiency, and transporter with the triple H, citrine deficiency. And uh, that's uh, the main one. Okay, so I'm a simple person, something I doubt our listeners would dispute. So to my mind, a liver-directed gene therapy for these disorders seems like a bit of a no-brainer. Is it really that simple? Uh, the, the concept is pretty simple, replacing a gene which is faulty in the right target cells. The difficulties that the field has been facing for some time has been very much to try to uh, focus perfectly on uh, targeting properly the right cell subtypes and avoiding to target other organs and being able to achieve a sufficient level of uh, transduction of the cell types to be able to achieve some therapeutic levels. And there is as well an important consideration, uh, especially for pediatricians, because most of these disorders get present in young patients. The fact that the liver is growing over time and for some of the technology we have, the mediated transgene that we transduce in these uh, target cells is not sustained over cell division. And therefore, it means that the efficacy of our approach will uh, decline over time. So that's why these are all limitations due to the technology and as well, sometimes limited knowledge about the pathophysiology of the condition. Okay. And... You've mentioned that this is an idea that's been there for some time. I mean, I always think of gene therapy as being quite a new idea, but in reality, it's older than a pediatrician's patents. So how did it start out? That's true. The idea is not novel at all. That's more than a generation. In the field of uh, uracycle defects, this perspective has been uh, started really in the early 1990s. And at that time, a group in the US at the University of Pennsylvania started to design a clinical trial using a specific vector called adenoviral vector for OTC deficiency. And this trial went ahead and injected multiple patients. But unfortunately, this was a dose escalation trial. And at the end of this, one of the patients who received the highest dose and the last patient to be injected in the trial triggered a very severe immune response against the vector and died after some days having received this uh, gene therapy approach. 
So, of course, this was very dramatic and all the field of gene therapy became very cautious and uh, started to develop new strategies, new technologies to provide gene therapy in a much safer way. That's everyone's worst nightmare is things going that badly wrong within a study. Obviously, a very disappointing start. And so at the beginning of this century, the focus was really on finding better viral vectors or certainly safer viral vectors. That's true. And of course, the uracycle defects, because there is such high unmet need for these conditions, are really at the forefront of these novel technologies. There has been some clinical trials running now since 2010s with a novel type of vectors called adeno-associated viral vectors, or AAV, which have shown great efficacy and a very good safety profile already in other conditions um, like hemophilia, for example. And these are the ones which have been used in recent clinical trials for OTC deficiency with some relatively good efficacy. And because this is a genetic condition where there is a height of unmet needs in newborns, and because AAV is a strategy which has limited efficacy long-term because the transgene can't be well transferred over cell division, and we can't re-inject these vectors because of immune responses after the first administration. Therefore, alternatives have been explored. And there are two main directions at the moment. The first one is very much about integration. That means that the transgene that we want to insert in the target cells will be directly inserted in the host genome. So that way, this will be transmitted to daughter cells and we will be able to observe a sustained efficacy uh, lifelong, hopefully. Uh, and the other approach is very much to develop a non-viral approach where we don't really have any risk of immune reactions against some viral vectors. And we have as well no real risk of editing the genome of the patient. And the leading strategy at the moment is using messenger RNA mRNA and capsulated into lipid nanoparticles. And this is as well a very promising strategy. And I think there is very much hope that we can target really with a great efficacy, these uh, subpopulations of patients, which are the most difficult to treat currently, which are really the neonates and the young children. So there's a lot of different horses in this race. Obviously, they can't all win. Ultimately, we hope it's the patients who are the winners. But how do you see this playing out? Yeah, I think the way it's going effectively, we have multiple strategies at the moment being developed. And of course, they will not be used for the same subpopulation of patients, probably. It's likely that, for example, some AAV strategies, which are very good safety so far, and which have a good sustained efficacy over time, will probably be targeting more adolescents and adults. For other strategies, we have been mentioning integration and uh, non-viral, it may be a good way to treat, for example, the most severe patients at the start. There may be some combination as well with the non-viral and viral strategies. I think times will tell, but I think that with this type of different strategies, we will be able to address the different needs of different patients' population. With the issue with this needing to redose, how old do you think a child or a young person needs to be before an AAV gene therapy would be definitive? This very much depends on the age at injection. So the doubling dose of the liver, for example, is around six months, 18 months, four years, 10, 12 years. So every single time you really dilute you, the efficacy of uh, your AAV mediated transgene. 
So it's likely that if you do an injection very early in the first year, for example, you will have a, an efficacy which might last for some months, maybe a couple of years, and then you will need to, you know, identify your novel strategy. If you do an injection, which would be much later in life, uh, in adolescence, you might be able to have a, a benefit which might last for, you know, decades. So that's this type of strategy we have in mind. It may be as well that, you know, long term, there will be some additional immunosuppressive strategies, which will be helpful to try to reduce patients with AAV gene therapy. We are not uh, near that yet at all, but it may be that at some point we might be able to find a, a good way of doing it, especially with the engineering of novel capsids, for example, novel uh, protein uh, coating of these AV vectors, which try to escape from the uh, immune system. And it may be that if we have a better vector, which trigger less immune reaction, which have been optimized for dosing, meaning that they can, for example, target nearly 100% of the uh, liver cells, we can reduce as well the dose. So in that case, we'll have a combination of facts which uh, enables us to have a much lower immune reaction, which hopefully with a better immunosuppressive agents and systems will be able to uh, reduce this patient. That would be another approach potentially. So it sounds like it's a very exciting time. Realistically, in the pipeline, there are human studies in place, aren't there, at the moment? So where do we think we are from now to clinical availability? Yeah, that's a good point. I think there is currently a, a phase three trial starting for OTC deficiency in older children and uh, adults. There is some trials recruiting for uh, children as well in OTC deficiency with non-viral strategy. So this is still at the phase of clinical trials, but we have phase three trials starting. So we could be hopeful that Maybe in five years, we should be able to have some approved treatment on the market with at least an AAV product for OTC at least. But I mean, you know how it is. You have various conditions, you have uh, limited resources. And because these are rare diseases, you need to involve multiple countries. And so this is, this is not an easy task to do. And therefore, I think we need time to be able to have uh, proper drugs on the market for these patients, uh, especially because we have different conditions, you know, around 10 different conditions, some more frequent than others. Obviously, most of the strategies uh, are focusing on OTC deficiency, which is the most common urethral defect. But uh, citrullinemia type 1, arginosuccinic aciduria are as well uh, some conditions which uh, are quite frequent uh, in this group of disorder, which are as well well explored. And then I think all the advances in these conditions will benefit the others. So I think this is, of course, something which is in progress. I'm confident it will come at some point, but I agree that it's never quick enough, unfortunately. Um, well, if people would like to read the paper, please click the link in the podcast description, or you can go to the JMD web pages and search for gene therapy in urea cycle disorders. Julian, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. 